Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you? Christmas Eve. I hope you've got there. I hope the family are all right. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. John is... Uh, excited. He is excited. He's, <laughs> I'm beside he's, myself. He is excited. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I'm going to stay up really late tonight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you remember we used to go to Midnight Mass? Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that was uh, it was the only time we went to mass. I know it was hilarious, wasn't it? And it was uh, mayhem. It was mayhem. Yeah, yeah. There was all the you know the usuals up front, and there was all the bowsies down the back, and everybody was hammered. Everyone was hammered. Yeah. The whole and it was wrong. It was really of, wrong. Yeah, we the knew whole it was of wrong. Monkstown, there's a big church in Monkstown, St Patrick's Church, a huge yoke, and uh, it's, I'm sure it's completely empty now. But on the Christmas Eve, in the mid to late eighties. It was just mayhem. Yeah, yeah. And, and the funniest thing is, it was an event. So you left the pub to go to mass in order to see the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it was also quite a place to roll your joints. <laughs> yes, I remember that. It was our good mate Murphy, who was Murphy. Yeah, yeah, the finest joint roller in the whole of South Dublin. Maybe in the whole of Ireland at the time. But just the excitement. Oh, yeah, but trying to avoid your mum, though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was Jeez, essential. Mom's not here. It's essential, essential. But it's just, it's, it's the sort of excitement you have. You know when you start laughing in school and your shoulders are going and you can't stop? Yeah. It was the same sort of thing at Mass, you know, yeah. compounded by rakes of gargle, a few spliffs, and just a giggle. But what I always remember was so interesting, we actually explicitly left the pub to go. Yeah, right? like yeah. We kind of kicked ourselves out of the boozer to go. Anyway, Midnight Mass, what are your best memories? Actually, what are your best memories of Midnight Mass? Catch us on Patreon, patreon.com <laughs> forward slash David McWilliams. So, Hedge, you're all good. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. And actually, I'm looking forward to this Christmas. I know we've been locked down, but I'm actually keen to stay in and just do nothing. Okay, I can That's tell you, I can tell you. But <laughs> John, you could be rest assured that John will be knocking on the door here in about two days saying, get me away from them, get me <laughs> away from them. But let's go and talk to Kev Cunningham, our pollster mate, because he has oh, yeah. a very interesting piece of research about breaking down Ireland and Irish society based on our perception of COVID. And there's an interesting link between how you 
look at the lockdowns, COVID, etc., and where you're going to vote. Ooh, and that's interesting. Okay. So let's get him on the line. Now, it's been a long, long year. I'm looking at John here. He's looking at me. We're sick of the sight of each other, thinking 2020. Yeah. Thanks for the Jesus, that's over. Christmas Eve, all is good. But you will remember that we started the podcast this last year in January talking about the general election. I know it seems like a long, long time ago. In fact, most of us can't even remember it was on, but it was. And it was a big story at the time, the Irish general election. And we were thinking who's going to do well, who's not. And in mid-January, we had a fella on the show, Kevin Cunningham, a pollster, a man, a data man, a man who understands political trends. And he said, ridiculously at the time, Sinn Féin will get 35 or maybe even 37-odd seats. At the time, all the, what I called the nose tappers, like if you knew what I knew, the political commentariat said Sinn Féin will never get more than the mid-20s, and even at that, they'd be doing extremely well. Kevin was out in his Todd, and he was right. And it's lovely to have you back. Well, we've had you back a few times since then. Kev, how are you? I'm great. I'm great, David. No, it's great to be on. It's great to talk about this stuff again. Well, I tell you, you have a great new story, which I think is fantastic, and it breaks the Irish the society down to tribes with respect to our view of COVID. Now, I think this is a beautiful way of looking at political dynamics, social dynamics, etc. I wanted to ask you, explain to me two or three things. First is, what is this tribal analysis of Ireland or cluster analysis? Number one. Uh, number two, how does it work? And look, number one, what is it and why is it important? And why is this the sort of go-to type analysis now of all political pollsters? Number two, yeah. number two, how does it work? And then number three, who are the tribes and how do we square people's perception of COVID and the lockdown and the vaccine with other ways in which they might act or vote or behave? And of course, even though we're here on Christmas Eve, it's very, very clear that one of the big discussions over the course of the next week or two here at home, but all over the world, is do we lock down again? If so, for how long? And what happens as the vaccine gets rolled out and what people's perceptions is. So, Kev, take me through the whole thing. Yeah, so a cluster analysis, it's it's a way of dividing up the population into a small number of, they're sometimes called tribes, uh, where people within each tribe are very similar to one another in terms of, you know, how they view the world in terms of their attitudes and behaviours compared to people in the other tribes. Okay, so, and it's something that's calculated uh, using data. So it's a kind of a mechanism, a statistical model to try to find patterns in responses uh, to a survey to say that, okay, we've got these kind of groups of people uh, that are quite similar to one another. So, you know, how does it, how does it work? Well, you take a, a large nationally representative survey, ask a ton of questions on, well, in this case, what we did was uh, COVID and uh, the statistical modelling, which is, you know, something called very max cluster analysis, uh, will identify those patterns in responses to the questions. I can see John, uh, here's, John here's nodding his head. He deploys very max cluster analysis all day in Tesco's. He's <laughs> very, very yes. sensitive, highly, highly sensitive algorithm going on. Oh, across yeah. Across over here. It's always running in the background. It's always like ticking away. You can, you can hear the, 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 there's a whir of activity going off the top of John's can. You know, the Pope's children was a form of cluster analysis away, right? You know, it was a kind of way of grouping people in terms of how they how they view the world in, in a kind of similar way. What, what, yeah, what no, this I suppose one? it was. It was. Yeah, but this, I had a game, Mac. But this is this, but this is a far more sophisticated 
abbreviated version. That was the back of the envelope approach. This is this is this has got. Uh, it's not always. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So go on, tell me. So you got you you you, because you know traditionally people are used, Kevin, to hear this idea. Well, you know the age group thirty to thirty five. Uh, gender, etc., and it kind of lumps together what I my understanding of political analysis lumps together big disparate groups that probably don't tell you very much about people. Yeah, yeah. The, so yeah, the the old way of doing this of of doing like as a political strategist when I when I used to go around losing elections all the time was well, the old way you, you you do this is you look at age and gender and social grade and all that sort of stuff to try to interpret like how people are behaving, responding to attitudes and and that sort of stuff. But the the big problem with that is, you know, even if you combine, say, let's just say age, gender and social grade, right, you end up with over 20 different possible combinations of categories of people, which is just far too many to actually analyze and interpret and, and try to make sense of the public more generally. And that's before you get into, you know, how they voted last time, what, what their personality types are like and left and right and all that sort of stuff. So the cluster analysis idea is that it's going to take all the information and then just to try to find, I mean, they're not going to be absolutely perfect in terms of everyone within each group believing exactly the same things. But broadly speaking, it'll find what are the variables and what are the things that help to group people into these different cohesive groups. And yeah, it's it's kind of, it's basically a first step for any kind of modern campaign to, to divide up the country using a cluster analysis and then to then interpret, right, what, what, our policy is going to look like? How is this group going to respond to it? And the cluster analysis can kind of give you that kind of sense that you would otherwise get, you know, back in the day from politicians when they're knocking on doors, just talking to loads of voters. Nowadays, when they don't really do as much of that, this sort of thing is just a really good idea, a way of trying to get just a good feel for, for what the public looks like and where they're kind of touch points are and that sort of stuff. Well, Kevin, let's look at it because obviously the, the, the big issue is COVID, right? And you went out, you've done the survey, you asked people what they thought of Tony Holohan, you told what they told the government, the lockdown. What did you find? What are the tribes in Ireland with respect to COVID? Where do people sit? Because sometimes, you know, it's really funny, if you're on Twitter, you can think that everybody supports a zero lockdown. Or you might go down a rabbit hole and you think everybody is anti-vax or you might think that everybody is sceptical and wants to open up. What's the actual lie of the land? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I thought this was absolutely fascinating because sometimes cluster analysis gives you something. And in this case, it's it's really got to give a really definitive idea of what the kind of groups are. And there are there are four groups in Ireland, right? Uh, the first group, I'm going to describe them uh, in order of from the most COVID zero-y, as you described, to the most uh, relaxed in relation to the restrictions. Some of the groups in the middle are perhaps the more interesting one because they're kind of defining what direction the country is going. And they're the ones I think that the government listen to most. But the first group is the COVID zeros. That's 29% of the public. They've a low confidence in the government. They believe that the government went too far in relaxing restrictions. They're opposed to indoor dining, in favour of schools closing early before Christmas and generally concerned about Christmas. They also don't believe that their friends, families and neighbours are going to abide by restrictions, which is an important consideration when we discuss some of the other groups. They rate Tony Holohan high, but they've low confidence in the government. Um, and so that's that's just the kind of COVID zero. And, group. And, They're more female than male, actually, which is quite interesting as well. 
I might have suggest could there be more? I mean, again, if you're if you're into zero, you're into lockdown, you're into the economy being put on ice. Might there be more public sector folk whose incomes will not be affected, who know that you know, irrespective of what happens, I'll still get paid my wage? Could that be well, the case? Yeah, I mean that could be that certainly could be it. They are certainly more likely to vote for left wing parties um, as opposed to right wing parties. They're less like the least likely to vote for Fianna Fáil out of all of the groups, which obviously contains the Taoiseach and, and the Minister for Health. Um, so they're they're definitely in that area. And I think, you know, in the context of COVID, they're the kind of people we're going to hear a lot of as cases increase. And then all of a sudden you won't hear much from them when, when everything is OK, you know, because they'll be quite opposite to the government and they'll be quite vocal in that respect. And they would be, sorry, Kev, can I just come back? And they would be some, some, of, the, some of the scientists you see on, on, on TV some of the uh, various scientists who tend to be much more, well, a lot of them tend to be very, very dogmatic about the zero COVID approach and they, 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 they hold up New Zealand as a possibility. That's that. So that's that tribe. Absolutely, yeah, that's it, yeah. The, the, the scientists and the doctors would very much be in this group. Um, and, and, and as I said, it's more female, so it's interesting that they're more cautious. The second group is the kind of government-supporting group. This is the biggest group, in fact, and it's 37% of the population. I'm kind of thinking of them as almost a Goldilocks group in particular, because they don't think that things have gone, in terms of the, the reopening of the economy, they kind of think that the government has got it just right. Not too little in terms of not enough restrictions and, and, and not too much. They have very strong support for the government and, and typically support Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They're typically over 55 or over 65 as well. They own their own home. They attend church, uh, more likely to attend church on a weekly basis, more likely to read the Irish Times as well. Uh, they also, though, rate Tony Holhan very highly. So they rate Tony Holhan and the CMO higher than anyone. So they're just in support of absolutely everything that, that the government and, and the CMO and those guys are doing. It's interesting, though, that if the government and the chief medical officer deviate, then that probably creates a bit of difficulty for this, for the government, because, you know, these guys rate Holohan so high. They're most likely to take the vaccine. And perhaps, perhaps they're a group that might be naive in some respect, because they're the only group really to overwhelmingly believe that their friends, family and neighbours are going to adhere to the restrictions, which if you move on to the next group, it would seem that there's actually a large group of people who aren't going to do that. So basically that these guys are, you know, we call them loyalists, they're government loyalists, they're loyal to the to the state. And how, what percentage of the population is this? Uh, this is 37%. So this is a huge chunk. Okay. And then the next crowd or the kind of, who, who are the next crowd? Yeah, the next crowd is the tired. So the tired of COVID. It's slightly smaller than the COVID. That's John's, John's mates. <laughs> yeah. The fed ups. Exactly. I'm, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just tired. Full I've, stop. <laughs> I've had enough of this. <laughs> So the reason why I called them the tires is because in terms of the, one of the questions was about their mental health, whether that decreased over the last six months. And this group was more likely to say so, much more likely than the kind of government supporting group. So they're typically in favour of any measures that give them more freedom while also opposing those measures that prefer restrictions on others. So they're, they're in favour of the quarantine of visitors to the country and discouraging travel to Northern Ireland, perhaps the kind of maybe the more sensible things, I guess, but also in favour of indoor dining and keeping, and very keen on keeping the schools open in particular. You know, more likely to be male, 30s and 40s, have a mortgage. They don't support Fine Gael. Uh, they tend to lean Sinn Féin, but, you know, not that strongly, I guess. 
And so they're, they're just as opposed to the government as the COVID zero group, but have a lower rating, obviously, of the chief medical officer because they're more critical of, of this, of the general approach. And unlike the zeros, they fancy getting out for a pint or two. I, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Right, so they're kind of a bit fed up. They're like, OK, come on, let's, let's get over this. And where do they stand on the vaccination? Because this is, again, another big issue coming up. Yeah, so, so they're slightly weaker on the vaccination, probably because there's a less less enthusiasm uh, for the virus. But they are all these first three groups are all likely to take the vaccine. Is the is the important consideration when we consider the last group? Tell me about the last group. So the last group are the skeptics, or you know what you might consider to be the the hardline far right type. Uh, voters. So, many, what, what percentage of the population? Just, just give me a sense. Yeah, of this. just going to say this is nine percent. So this is a lot smaller, really. So it's a subset of those that are opposed to the restrictions, but it's, it's quite different to the tired group, which is much larger. So their hardline opposition to all and any restrictions, you know, opposed to you know we should allow indoor dining and all this sort of stuff, but also opposed to any idea of quarantining visitors coming to the country or discouraging travel to Northern Ireland. They're significantly opposed to Tony Holohan and the government and rating them very low, like sort of zero out of 10 sort of stuff. And most of these people will not take the vaccine. They don't believe their friends and family will abide by restrictions either, similar to all of the other groups, part of the government group. And they're typically male again, except younger than the, the tired group. So they're more in their 20s and 30s, uh, early 30s maybe. But uh, in rented accommodation, they never attend church or anything like that and get their news typically from the tabloids or interestingly, the journal.e, which I was surprised about, and then uh, not at all, in fact. So, you know, when you ask them, where do you get your news? They're much more likely to say that they don't get, you know, read the news basically on a daily basis. They're also much more likely to vote uh, Sinn Féin again and or Aintu or the other group. And the reason why I think it's kind of quite far right is because I've done a lot of surveys and that other group, when I ask people who you're going to vote for and people select other, they're predominantly what we might understand in another jurisdiction as the far right, basically. It's around, it makes around 3% of the public. But, you know, when you ask them about support for Trump or Biden, they're Trump voters, basically. And, and you know, pretty much every social issue where if you were to estimate where would the, the typical far right voter go, it aligns very much with this other vote. So, that's obviously a subset of the sceptics who are you know, a little bit larger, around 9%. But this group is very much the kind of, you know, the, the likely people who probably are going to oppose wearing a mask in, in public places. But it seems like quite a small group. But let's let's look at this. Let's take this now and let's project forward three or four weeks from now, OK? Uh, Christmas has happened. People went out. Case, cases rise. They rise significantly. Let's just say this happens. Mihal Martin, Varadkar, they're sitting down, they're saying, okay, what do we do? Are they looking at this analysis? Are they thinking, okay, we've got six, you know, at least 60% of the population with us, maybe more. And they're saying, on the back of that, we lock down again. Would you, was, is, this, is this how this will feed into the decision? I, th- I mean, I think so. I think, you know, we saw this earlier on when the government tried to deviate from the chief medical officer in that support for the government took a sharp shock, particularly in relation to support for Leo Varadkar. And so I think that kind of middle group that like, I think you can fairly well ignore the sceptic group because they're not going to get much access. They're not going to get much influence on politics because broadly most groups would kind of uh, ignore them basically. So 
the real balance is between whether the government side with either the tires or the COVID zeros. And I think that depends on where that middle group, that large government supporting group aligns itself. And this is a group, you know, that that really aligns with Tony Holohan and, and those guys. So depending on how they approach uh, the response to what happens at Christmas will be quite critical. I think the interesting thing about this group is they believe that their friends, families and neighbours are going to abide by restrictions, whereas a lot of people uh, clearly aren't going to do that. And so perhaps after Christmas, if we do get a kind of surge, a kind of a Thanksgiving style surge that, that the States had, uh, you know, I think that will be, that will certainly jilt that particular group and I would expect the government to suddenly respond to that quite quickly. They're basically the median voter. They're deciding what direction the government is going to go and it's it's all going to be how, how they respond to what's going to, what's going to happen over Christmas, I reckon. Now, it's, it's funny, you know, when you say that, Kev, can we just move, move away from the COVID election and just look at the country 2020, right? We, we start with an election. That lo- government loyalist group is completely shocked by the results. They're not listening to people on the margins. They're not listening to the periphery. Uh, Sinn Féin do extremely well on the back of that. We still see now, you know, the people, there's a lot of people who say, not my government, not my Taoiseach. Remember all that sort of movement, right? Okay. What they're basically saying is these government loyalists, these 37% who are right behind Holohan, right behind the government, this is what many people would say is the entitled class, the class that aren't listening, the class that own their own homes. They don't have a problem with rent because they don't have to rent. They've got decent pensions. Do you see where I'm going with this? That all this reinforces yet again the sense of a split society. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, we've done this just in relation to COVID, but, you know, if you were to broad this out into broader attitudes, I think you'd find some of those groups co- coalescing, maybe the, the, the zeros coalescing with the other group that's kind of opposed to the government from a kind of other, from the other side. There is definitely, as you say, this increasing polarisation within Irish politics. And you see it online and you see it how journalists and the media and, and politicians are reacting to it to try to you know, take advantage really of of that difference. I mean, we have an electoral system, I think I've said this before, but, you know, which is no different to the Maltese political system. And in Malta, you know, turnout is 80 or 90%. It's the highest turnout in any country uh, that doesn't have mandatory turnout and by a long way. And the reason for that is because Malta is extremely polarised. I mean, uh, political violence, I'm not suggesting we're going to go in that direction, but political violence is is a feature of Maltese politics, because they have these two very opposed camps in terms of kind of a a classic kind of right-wing group and a classic kind of left-wing group. And it's interesting that we kind of assume that our political system, which is proportional representation, STV and stuff, will sustain some sort of centre ground. But there's absolutely no guarantee that that will happen. And as you say, there's these two groups, one older, probably owns their own home, who who just might not see what's going on with that kind of younger group who are struggling uh, in relation to paying rent and being able to afford their own home. I mean, just even if you think about it, you know, if you're restricted by three and a half times your income, you know, that the price of houses is just far, far beyond the average income multiplied by 3.5, you know. Well, you know, this is this is that we'll, we'll we'll leave it here, Kev, because it is Christmas Eve. But this is what I think happens all the time in politics: is that the centre that has a stake 
so misdiagnoses its own reasonably comfortable existence uh, with the rest of society that what we see it all the time is they rarely, rarely respond assertively or in time to what is a mass movement on the fringes. And the interesting thing about COVID, it kind of bears that out as well. Can I make a prediction, actually? Of course you can, Kev. So I, 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 I think one thing that is probably emerging is, you know, as you say, this fringe area. Like, if I lo- even though it's only 9% here, these kind of sceptics, I think that's going to emerge as a feature in Irish politics. And not just because there's kind of a, a, a right-wing opposition to the government, because this is the first time we've ever had the two centre-right parties in government together. So the only option for someone who opposes the government currently is a left-wing party. And I think we've seen that in Britain, certainly the only, the first time when the Liberal Democrats went in with the Conservative Party. People might think of the Lib Dems as being kind of a left liberal party, but actually they used to get quite a lot of support from people who just didn't like, you know, the Labour and left-wing brand, but didn't like the Tories either. Um, and eventually when the Lib Dems went in, it, it created this vacuum for UKIP. And I think with kind of a government opposition dynamic where you know, the opposition is solely left-wing. It creates this vacuum for a kind of the emergence of a right-wing opposition group, for which I think is kind of creeping up. Like I've seen AIM2 creeping up to 4% now in the polls quite quietly on the same level as the Labour Party and the Social Democrats. But there is that kind of emerging feature, which I think is going to happen in the next couple of years. Well, that is a very interesting way to conclude this conversation, the emergence of a, of a right or far-right group. And I, I like the way you've, you've analysed it there. It's kind of like they've nowhere else to go. That's the thing, yeah. you know, so that they have to go somewhere. And the UKIP, I mean, UKIP came kind of out of nowhere. And uh, the, the presumption that everyone who is disadvantaged is going to, in terms of an ideology or personality trait, align themselves with the values of a left-wing party, I think is, is incorrect, you know. Um, so I think it's inevitable, really, um, at some point. Interesting stuff. Listen, Kevin, happy Christmas. We will yeah, talk to you in the new year. Christmas. Great stuff, Kev. <laughs> Thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jesus, that's an interesting prediction he's well, making there. Put his putting his you-know-what's on the line. Yeah. But suggesting. I think he's he's... Right, you know, I mean, that that kind of 9% sceptics, you know, they are the kernel of the populist movement here. Well, I mean... And it's one to watch, I think. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, all big political parties start small. That's the most... Yeah. That's the lesson of history, yeah, yeah. right? And what he's saying is, if the centre in Ireland... So the government is a centre-right government. And the only apparent opposition is a left-wing government, which doesn't satisfy a small but rising part of the population, this far right, the sceptics. Yeah. Look, nobody is immune to the virus of populism. Nobody is immune. And the reason nobody is immune to it is it has its roots in something real, that people do feel left behind, that people do feel... And the fascinating thing about Ireland is that our economic performance in the last 40 years has been so much better than anybody else that most people have ended up in the left, centre-left or centre-right. So this big, what I would call the radical centre yeah. idea. Okay, so it's not radical left, it's not radical right, it's kind of radical centre, and it goes with tolerance, with liberalism, with LGBT rights, and all that sort of, that suite of mm, mm. the liberal agenda. Yeah. But now that that's passed... Now it's gone through its zenith. What our friend is saying, Kev, is saying that there are straws in the wind. And I thought what he was saying about UKIP was quite interesting because there's a thing in political discussion called the Overton Window. Oh, okay. yes. The Overton Window was, some geezer called Overton. He was talking <laughs> about windows. And what it, it was about how an odd idea starts out quite odd and becomes mainstream and then becomes dominant. It's like opening the window. Right. So once you okay. open the window, the draft gets in. Yeah, yeah, idea, yeah. Right? And he makes the point about UKIP, and it's a very well-made point. So he's saying, UKIP, do you ever hear of a fella called Zach Goldsmith? Yeah. Jemima Goldsmith. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Posh English family, right? Their dad was a fella called Jimmy Goldsmith, right? Right. And Jimmy Goldsmith... And Jemima married Imran Khan. The very one. Yeah, gotcha. The very one, right? Now... This is our little bit of celebrity news, okay? Right, excellent. Yeah, this is this. Is the little, I feel it should have a little sting. It's the little sideboard down the Daily Mail, <laughs> the one you never want to get caught reading, right? Okay, because you're in and you're gone, and you're in a rabbit hole, and you're looking at you know people you never heard of before, yeah. showing off their bikini bodies. You know that sort of like. Sort of, she's, That's she, how you buy that. Yeah, she gave birth 22 minutes ago, and now she's on the beach. You know all that sort of stuff, right? But Jimmy Goldsmith in 1996 or 1997 was when Blair got elected. Which is 1997. Right. Because I was in, you were as well. We were both mm. living in, in, in London at the time. He started up an anti European party. Oh, yeah. I do remember this, right? actually. Yeah. And he got something like 1,700 votes. And he was a, what they call a corporate raider, very, very rich guy. So he mm. threw all, lots of money at this. He got 1,700 votes, right? On a fringe idea called Britain leaving the European Union. And people thought, this is mad. Yeah. Within 20 years, that same proposition got 17 and a half million votes. So the question is, how does that happen? How does a radical 
extreme, slightly nonsensical idea yeah. become mainstream and then become dominant. And the Overton window theory is the following, that when you release an idea like this into the public, what tends to happen is some odd, obscure academics take it up, then columnists who want to make a name for themselves yeah. take it up. And they start beating this drum, okay? And they start, and then newspapers, this particularly happened in the UK, decide we're going to position ourselves over here. And then more and more people end up talking about this idea. And it becomes mainstream and it becomes respectable and it becomes logical. And then what you get is you need something, some match to light that flame. Yeah. In the UK, it was Brexit, the referendum. And suddenly you have a political movement. Yeah, yeah. And... I think that's what Kevin's getting at here, which is we think those sceptics, those COVID sceptics, they are a minority. Mm. But the the loyalists he spoke about, the 47% that support the state on yeah. everything they do are very much cocooned in their own bubble, right? And you notice this in COVID too. A lot of people who's who haven't skin in the game, as we talked about, yeah. seem to think, well, this is, you know, Lockdowns are the way we should go, etc. Now they're in, perfectly entitled, but they're not hearing the other voices, John. Yeah, and the other voices are out there. Well, I also think that it's those, in terms of the the, the populace, is many of them you would imagine would be kind of left, naturally left, but the left has never delivered. Well, that's a very interesting. Somebody told me once that the Labour Party. Very, I give you an interesting statistic. Think about this. The two richest constituencies, i.e. the the parties that draw their support from the richest people in Ireland, are the Green Party and the Labour Party. Isn't that extraordinary? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. Think about that, right? So because they became, back to our talk about the meritocracy, they became the party of the meritocracy. The Labour Party here became the party of the liberal agenda, right? The liberal agenda was largely a middle class phenomenon. So they were people who were left in the 70s and 80s who ended up becoming pretty well off in the 90s Mm. and the noughties. They continued to vote Labour, but Labour never really clicked with working class Ireland. Never really clicked. And the question is, why is that? It's because Fianna Fáil was the working class party, right? Yeah. Up until recently. But now Fianna Fáil, John, has got 11% in the polls which is not a million miles away from the 9% sceptics. Think about it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you were right. And it's also the idea that populism, think about the world we're going to go into, right? COVID has given us two things. One is it, show, it has shown us the extraordinary power of the state. Now, that, for good and ill. Mm. So I believe that when the state, if you told me last year the state will shut down this country, and we will have cops on the streets telling people what to do, where are you going? I'd mm-hmm. say that couldn't happen. But it did. So what it shows you is that at certain level, the state can really reach into people's lives. Now, I think it's very, very important that that reverses itself so that people can live the way they want to live. Mm. And if you give, and I don't believe the civil libertarians, right, that this is state overreach, but it shows you what the state can do. Yeah. So... One level we have to... It's extraordinary times. So, of course, they're going to... You know, we need... It's a, You know, people talk about leadership, and that's exactly what the the state is doing. It's, it's providing that leadership. No, I agree with you. But 
for civil libertarians of the right-wing perspective. This is evidence of state overreach for them, right? right yeah. So it's important that we reverse this quickly as COVID fails, fades away. Second thing is, of course, what it shows you is the state is incredibly, has done an extraordinary job at keeping everybody's living standards reasonably, reasonably, not, not, not unaffected, yeah. but putting a floor on that because of all the borrowing. And the question is then, do we move too quickly to austerity? And my fear is in the Fine Gael DNA is an austerian little protein. <laughs> and that protein mutates, okay, yeah. in the Fine Gael DNA. And they will try to balance the books again sooner than necessary. Now, if they do that, the thing with austerity, I believe we don't have to do it, but that doesn't mean they won't do it. Yeah. The thing about austerity is it affects poor people worse, always, because poor people depend more on the state. Yeah. Course, so yeah, if your yeah. income, if, you're, if, if everything, if your housing depends on the state and the Fine Gael gene mutates and we start austerity to pay back money that we absolutely needed to borrow, even with interest rates at zero because their head is in an austerity place. Yeah. Then again, those people on the right will say, we're being victimized, we're being punished. And then again, don't take away nationalism, throw it in there, the whole naughty stuff yeah. going on. So yeah, I think, you know, I hope 2021 will not be this year, but it could be. God, I hope not. Now, let's go and have a Christmas drink. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just want to say thank you so much for all your support this year. It's been brilliant. John been and I, year. JM, it's been a great year. Podcast has really really surpassed our expectations the feedback has been great we're kind of building a tribe we're building a community yep. uh, you're very very much part of it as we said there the other day i got a christmas tree on the back of it um <laughs> no but it's been really wonderful what we're going to do is we're going to different kind of populism this it's a very very different <laughs> kind of populism we're going to take a break for the week to give you a break and we will be back in early january for 2021 have a fantastic christmas don't get too messy. Be nice to everybody. Spread the love. Be sweet. And just when you have that argument, just think, nah, let's pull back. Okay? <laughs> Find your own man shed in your head. John has his mental man shed <laughs> that you retreat from. And of course, John, because we won't be around, so happy new year. It couldn't It'll be, be worse. It'll be a good year. It It'll be a good year. It'll be a good year. So happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And I think what better way to end the year then with a track by Lucy McWilliams <laughs> singing Moon River. This is a beautiful version, actually. Take it away, Johnny boy.
In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively, but not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.